Hi, I'm Meredith Roden, and I'm the host of the Hatchet's weekly podcast, Getting to the Bottom of It, covering the happenings around Foggy Bottom and GW's campus. On this week's episode, we're talking with Jesse Lovell, who is the secretary for the D.C. Statehood Coalition, about some of the big news this week. This is the first hearing, the first congressional hearing on D.C. statehood in 25 years. Is that right? Right. The, fir- the, first, the first one in the House, yes, yeah, since 1993. Um, that We did have a, a state uh, a, a hearing in the Senate in 2014, but this is the first one in, in the, the House. House. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think what's really interesting to students at GW in particular is, you know, not a lot of us are... DC locals. Mm-hmm. There's some people coming from, you know, Virginia, Maryland, but there's not, people are, you know, coming from all over, uh, inter- a lot of international students. So mm-hmm. they kind of wonder, why is this our fight? Why should we join this movement? And c- can you kind of go into that? Like why, why this is something that people from all over DC are from all over the US and internationally should care about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, as someone who Myself grew up in a, a very very small state. Um, in fact, one of one of two states with with fewer people than than the district itself. I'm I was an international relations major myself in in uh, grad school, uh, political science. You know, I mean, I've I've spent some time overseas. I've I've seen a little bit at least. You know how how things are done in other countries. You know, I I certainly am someone who believes in comparing the experience of countries and looking at each other for ideas and precedents. The issue of D.C. statehood is is definitely an issue where, wow, you know, it has been a long time coming, but boy, we've, we, we know what other countries have had to deal with and sometimes giving the residents of their capitals their rights. You know, and we have our own history to look at. And I think, you know, we know it matters, especially in a government a federal government that's been so closely divided for so many years um, to to leave a state's worth of people with just nothing <laughs> except a, a local government that is semi-autonomous, um, assuming Congress isn't interested in overturning a local law. It's just, it is so far past time to move beyond this. And one of those steps forward is the congressional hearing in the House. And... What were some of the biggest takeaways from that? What were some of the things that surprised you or the biggest points that you felt were made during that hearing? I guess one thing I definitely took note of was there wasn't, there was very little talk from any of the opponents of statehood of some sort of an alternative proposal. You know, well, you know, we, we have a problem with this bill and therefore we, we, we can't support it, but we think you should do this. I, I didn't hear much of that. I heard a lot of griping about the DC government about the you know any any little problems they can find with the local government corruption um, the possible logistical issues of, of switching over from a federal district to a local government but I mean how can you not have any alternative proposals um, I think there have been alternative proposals in the past and, I, and I'm kind of surprised I didn't hear any of those come up that was probably the big thing that surprised me I think the biggest tie to GW was that our president recently announced his support for D.C. statehood. Some other local colleges, their presidents have done the same. And so I was wondering how you think institutionally universities uh, can participate in this, as well as university students can participate in the movement and lend support. 
Mm-hmm. I think universities can definitely lend support in 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 that you you know here's here's a place with so many students who are right in the middle of you know learning all the nitty gritty details about government on so many different levels um, who remember probably a lot better than people who went to college decades ago just what the history sometimes of of, of the U.S. is, uh, sometimes of, of the district, um, you know, people who are, there's a lot to learn, there's a lot to retain, and, you know, even looking at the experience of other countries, America is not the only country that's had a, an independent district for the federal government that was separated from all of the states. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people who are probably studying this stuff probably are learning this and probably remember it a lot better than people who haven't thought about any of these issues in probably decades. You know, it's like, well, yeah, well, Mexico took care of this years ago. This is how they did it. Australia, they had this issue decades ago. This is what they did. Brazil, you know, all of these countries, I, I do think... Uh, a lot of a lot of students who are probably who are probably majors in a lot of these issues could probably you know add some good relevant detail to you know to people who just might not remember it's you know all all the history. And I guess what I'm trying to get at is, can just the, a few press releases from university presidents make an impact in this debate? Yeah, I, I think they can absolutely. Um, I I'd love to see, you know, I'd love to see. Uh, on a larger scale, what I think I saw a lot of the local universities doing, um, and I should I should thank you know the efforts of Students for DC Statehood, which I know is sort of a coalition between GW and and basically all of the other I think just about all of the major universities in DC are are affiliated. I think I would love to see that done on a bigger and bigger scale, where you know this this becomes an issue where you, you've got you know university presidents and heads of political science departments all over the country weighing in on this. It's it's an issue that you know it's you can't just ignore it. It's just absurd. Why would you ignore it? You've got to you've got to have something to say, and and for people who know the history, you know, history professors, political science professors, you know, let's let's talk about why we are where we are today. Um, I'd love to have their input, and you know, we'd be happy to you know help in any way we can. <laughs> All of our mostly volunteer community groups, you know, but I would love that level of engagement because you know it, it is a national issue. Yeah. And and looking forward, I think this is on everyone's minds. It's it's a Republican dominated Senate right now. Where do you go from here? It's it's the probability of this bill passing is looking pretty small. <clears throat> oh yeah. I mean, it I don't think anybody is going to argue that this bill is going to pass in the current Congress. Um it's I mean, it, w- it will pass the House. I mean, I'm I'm extremely confident we have the votes in the House. Uh, it won't pass the Senate, not in this Congress, but, you know, each Congress, that's two years. I think on an issue like this, well, really most issues, but most especially D.C. statehood, there's absolutely no reason not to think about the future beyond two years. I, I'd like to think this is no longer a long-term issue. I, I'm, I'm more a fan of saying it's maybe a medium-term issue now. I mean, we've we've spent so many years doing so many things and and I've worked on various campaigns myself not even not always statehood we know why we're where why we've gotten to this point of of fighting for statehood again i'm not worried about you know our prospects in the current congress cuz it would be silly to only think about that i mean things change all the time you know every 2 years it's a new congress every 2 years int- legislations reintroduced so i'm you know 
I'm just incredibly happy that we're finally at the point of getting this through in the House. And frankly, I'd be I'd be very very happy even to see a vote in the Senate, even if it even if it doesn't pass or even if it's a filibuster. I'd love to get to that point where we're already there because I, I just I see the signs we're moving forward. Is there a next step for your organization in particular? We're always doing outreach to the states, you know, um, to the extent we can with our fairly limited resources. I'm I'm going to be taking a trip out to Michigan myself to talk to some state leaders and the, their party. Beyond that, you know, I mean, certainly, I mean, one thing we're going to need to do is celebrate, I think, when, when this vote happens in probably January, February, I'm thinking probably sometime early next year. That's going to be a huge cause for celebration. And I think, you know, any lifelong activist will say you, you need you need to celebrate, you know, from time to time. You need to take some time just to feel good, and re-energize. <laughs> and I mean, this is as good a reason as I think we've had probably in my entire lifetime. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. I'm here with our student life editor, Lizzie Mintz. Lizzie, I know that you've had your hands full this week because the senator of Colombian College, Andre Gonzalez, decided to step down from his position as Senate pro tempore. Can you first of all just tell us where he's going? Andre Gonzalez is stepping down from his role in the Senate because he is going to be serving as the director of Legacy Review, which is a new director position in President S.J. Matthews' executive cabinet. Andre has to step down from his role within the Student Association Senate because he can't both be in the Senate and in an executive position at the same time. And what does this committee actually do? This committee was created under an executive order that President Matthews has issued. It's called the Colonial Moniker Task Force, and it's going to continue student efforts that we've seen over the past couple of years, especially since the student body passed a referendum last spring advocating for the change of the colonial monikers. This task force will essentially work with different administrators and stakeholders like alumni in the GW community to continue discussions around changing the colonials moniker. So this is something that students broadly care about, but why does Senator Gonzalez feels so strongly about it. Senator Gonzalez has been involved in this effort since the very beginning, before he stepped into his role in the Senate last year. Um, he's been part of that student push for a long time, and one of the reasons that he expressed his decision to take over this new committee is that he himself is a Native student, and he said that of the student population at GW, there's a very small portion of Native students, and he doesn't know the next time that there will be an opportunity for a Native student like himself to be in this type of position, in this type of space where they can advocate for change, which is one of the, one of the main reasons why he is so passionate about changing the moniker and about continuing this effort in this new role. Okay. And what is his first step going to be in the new committee? One of his first steps is really going to sit down with the rest of the students serving in this task force who are already members of the student association mm -hmm. in different vice president roles already in S.J. Matthews executive cabinet and strategize what administrators they want to talk to, what different stakeholder groups they want to talk to. Andre and another student 
Haley Margolis, who is no longer in the essay, but worked on this referendum, has worked on this effort for a long time, actually decided not to run for the essay this year so she could sort of work on this effort on the student side. He's working closely with her on this student movement that she's building called Anything But Colonials. So while it's two different movements, one that's a student movement and pushing from the GW student community and one being a task force from the SA, they are gonna work very closely, but the reason for this task force is to continue the essay's power to meet with officials, to meet with alumni, to continue having these conversations. And can you just give us some context here? Why is this all such a big deal? Something that I heard from both Andre and Haley when I sat down with them is that GW is approaching its bicentennial, its 200 year anniversary, and they both said that it is a great time not only to reflect on GW's past, but also to think about how GW wants to present itself in the future, which is why they're continuing this effort now. They actually both expressed to me that a lot of administrators who they've spoken with over the summer about this issue have has asked them why now, why immediately push for this? This types of conversation occur over decades and sometimes take years to pass, which is another reason for this task force. It's because these students want this issue resolved around this big moment in GW's history. Thanks for coming on today, Lizzie. Thanks so much for having me. As we're approaching the 2020s, you can celebrate the era of the flapper with a new speakeasy in DuPont Circle, and I'm here with our culture editor, Sydney Lee, to talk about it. Sydney, what details do we know already? Our reporter sat down with the owner, Vikram Bala, and he told us a little bit about the opening. Obviously, the draw of a speakeasy is that it's kind of secret, kind of shrouded in mystery, so how can you get in? He said that you can make reservations, anyone can do it. You'll be given a secret password through an app, and only people with the app and that password can enter the speakeasy on the night of your reservation. Wow. That, that is so cool. What is the atmosphere going to be like? I know there's also going to be a bar above it, the Nero bar. So how is that kind of different from that bar? So Nero is a Greek-Roman-themed bar currently, and he wants to keep the theme going in the speakeasy. It's actually going to be named Zeno after another emperor, but he said he wants to make the speakeasy way more elegant, so it's going to be very high class in the basement. Does he know anything about kind of drinks that they're going to serve or deals that they're going to offer there? Yeah, he said he's going to focus on cocktails mainly in the speakeasy, but they're going to do some foods like caviar and oysters. If you can't get into the new speakeasy, what are some deals that Nero offers that you can check out while you wait? Recently, they started offering a free Friday thing where for an hour every Friday, there's an open bar. So it's bottom shelf liquors. You can get free mixed drinks for that hour. So I'd definitely say to check that out. And they're also starting a brunch at the location. Thanks, Sydney, for talking to us. Glad to be here. That's all for this week. Getting to the Bottom of It is hosted by Meredith Roten and features culture editor Sydney Lee. This podcast is produced by producer Jacob Fulvag, assistant photo editor Ariel Bader, and podcast host Meredith Roten. Music is produced by Oak Studio. And a special thanks to Jesse Lovell and Lizzie Mintz for joining us.